Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision? We will always have enough cash yeah. around. Strictly business. Business. It's just business. Hello, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, and I get to bring a world of inspiring finance leaders right to your ears. Today, I'm speaking with Anthony Nitsos, founder and lead guru at SaaS Gurus. SaaS Gurus provides finance, accounting, and admin best practices and systems for SaaS startups from seed to series B. It uses a do-it-with-you model, so CEOs can conserve vital capital for development, sales, and growth. Anthony's finance career spans more than 25 years, with roles including ERP project director, group controller, senior finance director, COO, and CFO. We spoke about his systematic method to build the SaaS finance function, fully automating the back office way back in the early 2000s, and the links between his medical studies and a career in FinOps. Today's episode is brought to you by Spendesk, the all-in-one spending solution that puts finance teams in control with 100% visibility into company spend. And by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.com and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.com with any questions or feedback. Anthony Nitsos, welcome to CFO Yeah. Thank you. We're very happy to have you, and I, I'd love to begin with a, a bit of your background. Uh, would you care to introduce yourself to the CFO Connect community? Absolutely. So I come to the finance world by a very different path from most of the people that I've, I've talked to that do this work. I actually started off um, in medicine, of all things. I was a medical student. Um, and several years into that particular process, which is grueling and, you know, very demanding, I realized this just wasn't for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I love the fact that there are people out there who can deal with sick people and people who have illnesses and, and need treatment, but I am not one of those people, and it was pretty apparent that I shouldn't do that. So I left medicine. It was a very, you know, difficult decision, but in the end, it turned out to be a right one. And the first place I went to, um, because I'm in the state of Michigan in the United States, which is an auto automotive capital, right? There are automotive companies all over the place and suppliers. Uh, the first place I gravitated to was a manufacturing company. Uh, as a process re-engineer and systems analyst, mostly because of the fact that my training in medicine really didn't give me any other skill in business other than to analyze systems, their interrelationships, how they work together, and diagnose problems and cure them. Right, and treat them. So, <clears throat> excuse me, a manufacturing company is really no different than you know a human body if you think about it we even call them corporations which is corpus which is the same word you know you have systems that talk to each other interrelate pass information pass data pass materials and so it was very early on apparent to me that a lot of times these companies would be treating the symptoms and not the root cause and so i would dive into it and say okay well this you know really what here is you have a bad forecast or whatever it is why you continue to have stockouts that went on for a few years, and then from there, um, you know, at that point, ERP systems were starting to become the thing. So if any of you are old enough to remember, there was this big problem around the year 2000 leading up to it where everybody had this supposedly old code 
that didn't have the year 2000. All the all the years were digits were like 63, 78, 89, whatever it happened to be. And everybody was worried their code was going to blow up, right, on, on, on the year, you know, when the calendar changed. And so everybody and their brother in manufacturing started rushing to put these ERP systems into place. Now, an ERP system hits everything from engineering to procurement to delivery to accounting to finance. I mean, it's the entire organization. And so it was a natural fit for me to move from manufacturing systems processes over into IT. And so my next step in my career was really to implement these massive multi-million dollar you know, systems across, in some case, many states or different countries and knit this all together and get it all done in record time because everybody was worried about blowing up you know, Y2K. Well, come that, when that was done, and of course, nobody's buying any more software after the year 2000 because they all bought it before the year 2000. I saw the handwriting on the wall and I said, you know, I need to leave this industry because it's not really going to go anywhere. And so I landed back in manufacturing, but this time it was with a company that was just purchased by the Japanese, and I happened to speak Japanese, so that was a, you know something that they were interested in. And they were going to scale their company from 5 to 50 million in the next three years. And they had contracts to do it. And so they needed a real heavy systems and accounting person to come in and really take ownership of the entire back office and design it so that this could be you know, scaled. And that's what we did. So I took all of the training that I'd had previously in manufacturing and medicine and added a Six Sigma Black Belt certification you know, training to it. And we really totally engineered our entire back office so that at five million in revenue, I had three people working with me. And at 50 million, I had the same three people. We didn't have to add any headcount. We had fully automated the entire data flow through all the entire organization in such a good manner that we didn't have really data input anywhere. It was all automated. It was all done by barcode scanners and input. And in the end, of course, that project was done. And I was, that was great. And I'm like, okay, now what do I do, right? So I'm looking for the next challenge. And what I noticed was that accounting was interesting. And it's kind of like the electron microscope of, of a business, if you will, because you can really dive down deeply in and really analyze things. But finance is what, where people were playing, which was actually having a lot of fun, right? Accounting is just kind of scorekeeping in the end. Finance is really looking forward. And so that's when I decided to make the break from accounting over into finance. Uh, went over, got an advanced degree um, in finance from the University of St. Andrews. Thank you, UK. Awesome place. Um, came back from there um, also with my wife, which was a serendipitous uh, discovery at that time. Uh, came back to the United States and joined up with another person who had been doing fractional controller and CFO work and was overwhelmed with business and he was looking for somebody to come in and that's really when I started the entrepreneurial phase of my world. And that was around 2006. So since that time, I have been doing fractional CFO, controller, process re-engineering, optimization, all that kind of blended together because of that kind of checkered past of mine. I don't really come from a heavy finance background. I come from a very heavy process and systems background with accounting and finance laid over the top. And then out of the blue, you know, there, I'm sitting there one February typing at my computer and this the CFO from a software company here in Ann Arbor reaches out to me and said, hey, you know, I really need a senior director of finance and finance operations to come in and help us scale, right? He said, you know, we're growing really rapidly. And this was a company called Duo Security. And when I joined the team working for their CFO, this was the first time I had gone into SaaS, 
right? So I had I'd done a lot of manufacturing. I'd done a lot of services. There was a little bit of software, but this was really very much focused on SaaS as a particular industry. And they were at about 10 to 15 million in ARR at that point. And, you know, had just, as, as he said to me, he said, we just decoded the sales um, situation. So all we need to do is really pour money into it and we're going to get a lot more sales. And that's exactly what happened. So the company went from 10 to 15 million in ARR and three and a half years later, we were at 140. Um, and during that entire time, my job was to optimize, engineer and design, you know, if you will, the entire back office, you know, stakeholder ecosystem, if you will. That's why I call it the finance and stakeholder ecosystem, because it really is. And in a company that large, you really have to take in sales operations because it's feeding orders into finance. You have to take in CSM because customer success needs to know renewals information. You have to take into consideration, of course, you know, anything in engineering and development, um, if there's invoicing issues and whatnot. So all of that knitted together, and three and a half years later, um, that was the end of that project. Um, the company later exited to Coupa for two and a half billion dollars, Cisco for two and a half billion dollars. So it turned out to be the first unicorn that I actually worked with. I then moved immediately from that one to another local Ann Arbor software company, and it's they called they they, they kind of teased themselves and said, you know, we're a twenty year old startup because they were like the original SaaS company. They weren't a SaaS company, excuse me. The original software company in Ann Arbor that had been around for about twenty years, called LlamaSoft, and they designed uh, supply chain software. That's what their you know particular niche was, and they were pretty much the market leader. At that point, uh, you know, a private equity firm, TPG, pumped a bunch of money into it, brought in their CFO and their CEO to scale this thing and obviously get it ready for an exit. And so their CFO, same story, said, hey, I need somebody to come in, be my senior director of finance operations and whatnot. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of being second violin, but I'll go ahead and do it again. Um, and so I came in and basically helped him do the same thing. They later mm -hmm. exited for a billion and a half to Coupa. So back to back, right in the middle of all this, with SaaS in particular, I had the privilege, and it was a privilege, of working for very skilled CFOs who knew how the finance pieces and then just turned that over to me and said, you do the systems piece. So that's really solidified a lot of the finance. And in the process, I got to sit in on meetings on investment rounds. I got to figure out how to structure deals. I you know, got into a lot of equity work. And so the true finance side of my world really blossomed at that point. And at that point, I said, you know what? I'm tired of working for other people and it's time to go back and work for myself again. And so that was really the genesis of SaaS Gurus. At this point, it was to take all of that prior inf information and, and skills and say, you know what, there is a better way to do fractional CFO work than the traditional market is right now, and I've got the answer for that, and that's what we've been doing. Well, let's let's get right into that. Uh, obviously, for for listeners who aren't aware, you founded SaaS Gurus around two years ago, I think. Um, yep. What exactly is better about the way that you're handling? fractional CFO work than, than kind of the traditional or what you saw before? So my experience, and this is an N of one, as we say, so, you know, I could be wrong, but it's, you know, I, in hearing clients talk to me and prospects talk to me, it seems to be a recurring theme that they're really kind of, you know, take me aside 
CFOs, fractional CFOs, seem to come from two primary backgrounds, accounting and finance, right? You know, this seems to be a natural fit. Very few former medical students end up as CFOs. So it's just kind of I'm the oddball, right? Um, but the accounting type of CFOs, they tend to come in <clears throat> and deal with and recreate accounting systems that are kind of like accounting systems have been for a long time kind of manual checks and balances, reports, you know, comparing things one to the other. And those systems are inherently inefficient. And so a number of the fractional CFOs that I've inherited projects from or inherited clients from had been probably spending 50 to 80% of their time really on accounting matters, you know, controller, financial reporting, actual versus budget analysis, you know, stuff that's really on the accounting side of things, maybe crossing a little bit into the FP&A world, but kind of very heavily finance or heavily accounting. And then there's kind of like a thin layer of finance over the top of it. Then there are the folks that come into fractional CFOs who are CFAs or they come from a finance background. Maybe they've had a few classes in accounting. Maybe they, under, you know, of course, they understand accounting at, the, at a conceptual level, but they've never gone in and dubbed debits and credits. They've never gone into the systems details. And so they don't come in with a knowledge of how you could structure these things in a way. And so you end up with a lot of outsourcing. You know, hey, let's throw it over to, you know, the bookkeeping company or the outsourced accounting company. And those companies aren't really geared towards SaaS in particular, right? They, they, they deal with a broad range of customers. And so the accounting solutions that come from those particular situations tend to be kind of cookie cutter and don't really have themselves dialed in specifically to SaaS because SaaS numbers in particular, especially on the accounting side of things, are very specific. And a lot of the benchmarking information that's available out there, say from KeyBank Capital Markets, who used to be PacCrest or whatever source you use, they all kind of follow the same format in terms of how the P&L should be structured, how the balance sheet should be structured, how the KPIs should be put together, how the KPIs should be calculated, I should say. Um, and so you're kind of like accountant types don't understand all the intricacies of that necessarily. And the finance types don't understand you know, the intricacies of that. And so what we do, we come in and say, look, these are highly you know, logic-driven processes, right? Accounting is very logical. You know, I, I know there, there's arguments about how to classify things, but in the end, it's very rules-based. And therefore, it's subject to repetitive control. And now I'm going to go all the way back to my training in process reengineering. When you can, the best way to control a process is repeatability and standardization, right? And so the other part of it is data integration and communication. You can't have siloed systems. So what tends to happen in these companies is, okay, I'm going to start up. Let me start up with an accounting system. First thing I need, I need payroll and accounting almost right off the bat. And even if you don't need payroll, you need accounting, right? So go get your QuickBooks, right? Have your tax CPA set it up. They put up the accounts. You're off and running. Everything's happy, right? Except your statement, your financial statement looks like a tax CPA financial statement and has absolutely no value to the company to manage it. And I'll tell you, I inherited $25 million ARR company. We just signed them you know, last week. They have payroll <laughs> in one line item. Not a lot of analysis you can do with that. It's like, how the, how the heck do you know what your gross margin is? How do you know what your you know, sales and marketing spend is? How do you know what your true G&A overhead is? There's none of that, right? It's totally, I'm like $25 million flying by the seat of your pants. Go, go, great job. But by the way, you could do a lot better. 
And so they had brought in fractional CFO. And she said, go get NetSuite. It's like, what does that solve, right? Just Let's just throw a system at it. That doesn't solve anything. You've got to go in and fix this. And so that's what we do. We know what B2B SaaS should look like. We know what systems work well. We know what software works well. We've been doing this for years. I mean, seven, eight years now, because if you count my time from Duo Security, followed by Llamasoft, a lot of that involves the tools of the trade. What are you going to use for your KPIs? What are you going to use for your accounting system? What are you going to use for planning? What are you going to use for HR and payroll? There are good solutions out there that fit B2B SaaS really well, or just SaaS in general really well. And so we've kind of honed that in so that when we come into a client, we spend maybe a week or two, and the first thing we do is we completely re-engineer that back office and turn it into a spit-out numbers for somebody at a, at a relatively low cost can come in and run that system because it's so well robustly designed and put together. And, you know, We're not experimenting. We are doing this because we've been doing this over and over again, and it fits this particular niche. And we love SaaS, right? This is just, to me, this is, I remember manufacturing being kind of like you walk into the office and it's dark and it's smelly and everybody's kind of like, another day at the job. Walk into a SaaS company, people are having fun. They're shooting Nerf guns at each other. They're playing basketball. I mean, this is, you know, an entirely different world. And for a kid like me coming from a manufacturing state, to have the ability to work in Ann Arbor in the Ann Arbor Tech Cluster where all these software companies are. And plus, you know, we work all across the country and now across the world. We have clients in the UK, as a matter of fact, and one in Australia. You know, for us, the excitement is this is an exciting, vibrant industry. It really needs somebody to come in and really make it efficient. And that's what we do. And in the end, you end up paying your CFO a lot less money because he or she is only working on the finance pieces of the business. And all this accounting controller, financial reporting and budgeting and all this stuff gets taken care of. And it's done at a resource cost that's a lot lower. And more important, you can scale it. Because we've been through these scalings, right? Two or three of them, where we've added a zero to the revenue number. So I always challenge my clients to say, well, we we do it this way. And I said, what happens if you multiplied that process by 10? Would it break? And so I call it the rule of 10. It's Anthony's rule of 10. Whatever process you have right now, multiply that times 10 and ask yourself, how would that still work? Nine times out of 10, I'll tell you right now, it won't. Because whatever you put together to handle dozens of transactions isn't going to work for several hundred transactions. And the same thing applies. What you've designed for several hundred transactions probably isn't going to work for several thousand and several thousand to several 10,000. And I've been through enough of these experiences to know that this logarithmic growth, you can plan for very early. And that's what we do. So each of the systems that we set up, if you want to later scale from whatever, you know, say you're a million in ARR right now and you want to go to 10 million in the next three years or you know, whatever it happens to be, you're not going to have to go in and replug and replace these things. They're going to work for you all the way up to probably about 100 million. And at that point, then you start taking a look at maybe a complete redesign because now you're into a very different world with higher controls, um, a lot more um, specificity in terms of accounting, you know, and, and how it's handled and all the other stuff that goes along with it. So I like to say we automate the controller function so that the CFO can work on finance. And in the end, it's a lot more cost effective for our clients because instead of paying, you know, three to three to ten thousand dollars a month, which is a typical CFO gig, they end up paying, you know, a lot less, right? And they get just finance out of it. 
If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. When you walk into a new client office, or when you start working with a new client, are the issues that you're going to find pretty predictable? Yes. (laughs) Always the same? Not always the same, but pretty much following the same pattern. Um, so when we first, you know, when we first qualify a, a prospect, you know, so a lead comes to us and say, you know, I've heard about you or want, you know, want to work with you. You know, our first question is, what do you, you know, obviously, what are you doing right now? Why is it not working for you, right? Because if it's working and you're doing well with it, you don't really need us, right? You know, maybe it's already been taken care of. And so that's the first qualification. The second qualification is they hey, say, hey, you know, our, it's a jacked up mess. It's, you know, a train wreck. You know, we can't get numbers or, you know, whatever it happens to be. This is really painful for us. I said, okay, let's, let's do a little bit more of a deeper dive. And so our next process is a diagnostic. Go back to the medical school days. When you first show up in a doctor's office, the first thing they're going to do is what's called a review of systems. And they're going to take you through a checklist, you know, your, you know, your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, you know, everything that's going on in your body. So they understand your system, right? You can't go in and fix the finance and accounting and the stakeholder ecosystem without understanding the entire organization because there isn't a single action or decision in a company that doesn't have a financial impact. And so if you're focusing on just this piece and ignoring how these other pieces interrelate to it and talk to it and pass information back and forth or whatever it happens to be, you're missing the bigger picture and the opportunities to really optimize. So we spend probably an hour, and we do it on our nickel. We're not charging for this because we really want to deeply understand if there's a fit for us to fix whatever problem is. We'll spend an hour to an hour and a half doing that review of systems. We're going to go through every key function, how it's working, how it's not working, where the data are stored, you know, how the documentation of the whole nine yards. And in the end, it then becomes very clear to us. And I can almost copy and paste the same email over and over again back to the, the prospect to say, here's where I recommend you take care of things first and second and third. And generally the same things we see over and over again. A financial statement that was set up by a tax CPA. That's it. It starts from there. To me, your general ledger and accounting system is like the spinal column of your body. Everything hangs off of it. Everything is connected to it in some manner. So if, I don't know if you've ever had back pain, Patrick, have you ever had, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Occasionally sitting at the computer all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Can you get away from it's it? very difficult. <laughs> No, you can't. You're, you can't get away from it. It's your yeah. back, okay? You cannot get away from it. It doesn't matter. One of the most miserable things is to have lower back pain that you can't diagnose or take care of, right? It could be from sitting or whatever it happens to be. Your accounting system, that general ledger, if it's not set up to be specific for B2B SaaS, 
you have payroll and one line item, right? Or you don't understand the production departments that need to go into cost of sales, or you don't understand specifically the clear markings between marketing activities and sales activities, or you don't have G&A separated out, you're A, not gonna be able to benchmark yourself against other SaaS companies, but more important, you're not gonna be able to generate KPIs. Can't do it. So we start with that, that very first thing. It's like your general ledger is a train wreck. We're going to fix it. And we fix it. And we do that by having a standard chart of accounts that is very B2B SaaS specific. And we go in and we reclassify. We change the chart of accounts and then we reclassify all maybe about a, a year or a year and a half. So we have at least some data to go from because we're going to need that for the next important step. And we go through that and say, okay, now... Here is your cost of production. Here is your cost of delivery. Here is your cost of support and retention. Here is your cost of product research. Here is your cost of engineering and development. Here is your cost of marketing. Right on down the list, there's about 12. And these are B2B SaaS standards. So payroll is not in one line item. It's broken out. And while we're doing this, we're also dealing with whatever systems that are going on and say, okay, can we get these transactions to flow in automatically? Do you have your bank feeds coming in? Do you have your payroll system integrated? Do you have the same harmonious chart of accounts for your expense tracking? So it really is a kind of a nuts and bolts build it up from the bottom to say, there are ways to get your data to come into the system for you without you having to put it in. And this is where I see another thing that's common item number two. They got somebody punching data in. I mean, how, I, can, I can hook up my bank account to my QuickBooks and have all my banking transactions drop in for me, and all I have to do is classify them. And even then, I don't have to. I can set up rules, right? It's something as basic as that. And time and again, I don't see them taking advantage of these things. And that's a huge time saver. Not only that, it's a time saver, it's an accuracy saver because you're not having to sit there. If you make a mistake... Now you got to go back and maybe it shows up on the bank reconciliation and then somebody's got to go back in and research that. Da, 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 da. So I go back to the first principles of internal controls, which I learned back in manufacturing. Preventive controls are much more powerful than detective controls are much more powerful than corrective controls. A preventive control means that whatever you're producing, and whether it's a widget on an assembly line or it's an invoice, it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. You're producing it right the first time. The Japanese have a great term for this. It's called pokayoke, which literally translates idiot-proof. Bakayoke. Baka, idiot, cannot do, right? So a pokayoke system is one where it's so well designed that the worker on the line can't make a bad part. So it goes back to if you create it right the first time, then you don't have to touch it because then so much of accounting is built on what are called corrective controls. Let's check the totals on this. Let's compare this total to this total to make sure that there's right. A bank reconciliation is a primary example. Now, some of these we're going to keep doing no matter what, but too many times I come in, point three I find, the accountant has set up a whole bunch of cross-checks and reports, and it's like, dude, that's the inefficient way of going about it. Why don't you set it up so that you preventive, prevent errors from occurring first, then your detective level of controls don't have to exist nearly as robustly. Because the third level, the correction, means that you put a number out there that's wrong. And primary example here, I came into a client and the CEO had been calculating their ARR on a spreadsheet. He said, oh, we're at 500,000 in ARR. I said, that's great. Show me your spreadsheet. I took a look at it, and immediately I could see this is, you know, 
A, first of all, I would never do ARR on a spreadsheet at half a million. Just that's brain damage, right? You know, talk about uh, inefficient. I said, you know what? <clears throat> you have this thing sitting here. You bought SAS Optics. And SAS Optics, I will just, you know, I, I don't work for them, but I work with them. I've worked with them a long time. They are the premier SAS KPI calculation machine out there. They do it better than anyone else. Uh, we use them at Duo, for example. Um, we threw Zora out because they couldn't do the job, and we brought um, SAS Optics in, and they scaled with us all the way from you know several hundred transactions a day at 10 million to several thousand transactions a day at 150 million without any problem, spitting out my ARR, my NRR, my churn, my contraction, everything else that I needed. So I said to this guy, I said, you know, let's let's get your SAS Optics up and running. <clears throat> So, okay, none of us could figure it out. It's like, okay, well, I'll figure it out. Turns out his half million of ARR was 350,000. Oh. Right? Yep. Oops. Now, if you're going in front of investors and you're going in front of your board and you're telling them that you're at half a million ARR and you're not, and you're actually a third, two thirds of that. You know, there's egg on your face, there's credibility, there's all sorts of issues. And that's a horrible situation for me to come in and just have to tell the guy, hey, oh, by the way, I'm sorry. And his, his first reaction was, well, your numbers are wrong. I'm like, well, <laughs> let me show you. And walked him through it. So this comes down to you had sales data going into Salesforce. You then had, so somebody was typing that in. Then you had somebody typing in the invoice in accounting. And then you had somebody typing the data on a spreadsheet. So three data entry points, right? Train wreck waiting to happen. And in this case, it was a pretty, you know, a pretty egregious one. You missed your ARR numbers by you know, a third. So this goes back to what we find over and over again. We find siloed systems that aren't talking to each other. So you have multiple points of data entry. We have a lack of integration in using tools that are really at your fingertips to make your lives easier. We have a lot of detective controls built in that aren't going back to first principles of preventive. And we also have just plain lack of knowledge of the industry of how a B2B SaaS general ledger should be set up. Because once you have that set up right, now I can do your budgets, right? Because now I have all the historical data in the right buckets that I need, and I'm going to use this. This is, the other, this is the other myth that we find, that the budgets that are set up don't use the chart of accounts from the accounting system. And I'm like, how easy is it for you to do an actual versus budget? And if you're not, you should be, because that tells you how well you're tracking to your target, right? If you're, if you, if you're not aware of where the, mar the markers are, the yard lines are, and the goals are in your football game, then how do you know when you're scoring? How do you know when you're making progress? Oh, well, we're further down the field. It looks like we are. Yeah, but how are you measuring that, right? And that tool is the actual versus budget tool. And very few of our companies, when we first come in, have their a have a budget that's really worth anything. They probably downloaded it from the internet, or they got it from a buddy or somebody like that, and so they're using that to do projections. Um, but it's not accurate because it's not embedded, and does it does not embed the chart of accounts from the accounting system, so that I can easily pull. And it's just like that. I download the financial report from QuickBooks. This is a, a, a more of a manual way because there's an automated way to do this. And just drop it into the spreadsheet with some ifs and it looks it all up and does it, right? And I've got my variance report right there and that, then and there that I can analyze. And so that's another common theme. They're not using budgets and they're not tracking to them. And their budgets aren't really integrated with their accounting system. 
and they don't have a proper SAS KPI machine to do it. Some poor schmuck's trying to do it on a spreadsheet, right? You know, there's a solution for every one of those, and they all involve sitting back and saying from the beginning, we're going to design this thing to be as efficient as possible because it's really aggravating to be a CEO to not have the right numbers at your fingertips. Um, it's dangerous not to have the right numbers because you could be putting the wrong numbers out there. And it it's, it's like driving your car without a dashboard, without headlights at night in the dark, right? You're driving down. If, as long as you're on a straight highway and everything is going fine, yeah, you can turn everything off and go, right? But as soon as some curve or something is coming up in the road and you're not seeing it, that's what these systems help you do. They help you understand, first of all, how's your car running? From Michigan, right? I'm going to use car analogies now. How's your car running? And more important, where's it going? And do you have enough gas to get there? And how fast are you going to get there? And can you accelerate that? Is it safe for you to accelerate that? All of that comes back to the, you know, the dashboard that you have and the ability to look forward through your windshield. Accounting systems are the same thing. They're you know, like this, this is not a real window. Uh, the window behind me, you know, it shows me what's going on. Well, the same thing for your company. So long-winded answer, we find a lot of common themes and they all come down to highly manual systems, non-integrated, okay, and not optimized to B2B SaaS. And those are all fairly straightforward, solvable problems. Think you have company cash under control? You may have a process to pay people back, but company spending is so much more than expense claims. Spendesk gives you one system to replace your old-fashioned company cards, track online payments easily, and process supplier invoices faster than ever. Whether you're a growing startup or you've been doing this for decades, it's never too late to upgrade. Graduate from basic expenses to spend management today. Try Spendesk. I know, I mean, Sasquatch has only been around two years, so you probably don't have a, a lot of before COVID to compare with after COVID. But everything that you just described, that, that metaphor, that image of the car going down the straight highway that suddenly has a great big curve in it, is, is that exactly what companies found in February 2020, essentially? We literally started January of 2020, right? As a matter of fact, it w I was actually COVID positive at that point and didn't know it. I was one of the first cases in, in Michigan, unfortunately. And so I'm founding a company while I'm sick, right? And we started, I had three clients right off the bat. And this thing starts coming up, right? Now, in this case, all three of them, two of them had a budget. The other one didn't. Um, and, you know, of course, typical problems, the budget wasn't harmonized to the accounting system, so it was hard to translate back and forth. But, you know, they had sales forecasts and they had at least some semblance of an organizational forecast in terms of headcount, tech stack and operating expenses to go along with it. Then this thing starts happening. And on March 10th was the lockdown, was the, the first declaration of emergency in the state of Michigan. And, you know, these three clients happened to all be here in Ann Arbor, so we're all in the same boat, as it were. And that's exactly what happened. It's like all of a sudden, all of your, your assumptions are gone, out the door. Um, in one case, it's a health tech company, and they were able to pivot and actually take advantage of the situation. The other one was a fintech company, and they couldn't. 
um, you know, because they were they were selling into banks, and suddenly nobody's in the office anymore, and you can't get a hold of people, and so sales just came came to a crashing halt. So we came into this literally at the beginning of the crisis, and so we've pretty much been dealing with, you know. All of, our, all of our clients have been COVID clients, right? Because there hasn't been a time where we weren't open where this was happening. And so, you know, the first thing is the mad scramble to go in and redesign all the systems and get everything done, right? So that it's set up properly. And then it's to sit down and say, okay, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to plan? What are we going to do? So now you need what if scenarios in a budget. You know, what if your sales hit this? What if your sales hit that? Whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, development timelines have to be pushed out or you have to go in for more bridge rounds. If you go in for a bridge round with your investors, what terms are you going to go in with? So it was really a kind of an all hands on deck with the, you know, the V, because all these companies I work with are VC backed. You know, okay, there's, we don't really, I think I have one bootstrap, two bootstrap clients out of, you know, a many that are a VC backed. Right. Um, and the bootstrapped ones, you know, we, we got them later. So it was already past the COVID, you know, thing. So we're really dealing in kind of early stages. But it was really immediate that we had to pivot very quickly to changing the business plans and seek whatever funding sources. And then, of course, these, you know, the, the PPP loans start coming out. And, you know, our clients, of course, were all qualified for that. So we got governmental help. But Again, now you're laying in cash assumptions into the forecast because when you get down to it in your tech startup, B2B SaaS, there are really two things that are top of mind, more important than anything else that you need to be focused on. And the first one is sales and cash. And the second one is cash and sales, right? That's it. Um, do you have enough runway to take you to the next level? And are your sales growing? And are you, you know, keeping the ones in the door? Are you renewing? That's really it. Um, because your valuations are all going to be based primarily on your growth patterns, your quality of revenue, your retention numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And you need to have enough gas in the gas tank to take you to the next gas station, whether it's your, your next seed round extension or an A or a B or whatever it happens to be, right? So having to do all of those in midstream was stressful, just plain and simple. But if these companies didn't have us working with them, they would have had to struggle to try and figure out, you know, any forecasting to begin with. So you're wasting all that time. So that's why I said I like to automate all this stuff because in the end, as a CFO, I can sit down and say, okay, here's what cash is telling us. Here's what P&L is telling us. What do we do about this? You know, how far, you know, and then you get into strategic discussions. And for us, it's usually do we need to go out and raise or can we make this without a raise? Excellent. Thank you very much. I want to move now to our quickfire questions with which we finish every episode. Um, so the, the first okay. is, uh, what is one finance tool you couldn't live without? And please don't say Excel. SAS Optics. SAS Optics. SAS Optics. Cool. Can't live without it. <laughs> uh, if there was one part of your day today you could outsource completely and forget about, what would it be? Um, hmm. I don't know. I'm having lots of fun. <laughs> That's kind of a tough one. I'm not sure I could outsource because I've done a good job of, I'd say nothing because I've done a good job of making sure that the stuff I don't like doing, somebody else who loves doing it is taking care of it for and me. And everything else is automated, I assume. A lot of it, yes. I mean, we, 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 do, we do eat our own dog food, as we say. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Good enough is good enough, right? Don't strive for perfection. Get it to where it's good enough. 
And finally, which other finance leaders do you talk to or learn from regularly? Um, the former CFOs of Llamasoft and Duo Security, both of whom I have cell phone numbers for and talk to because those are folks that have proven that they know how to take a company to a, a unicorn exit, and that, that is an invaluable resource for me. And I, I'm going to add one more question for you. What's the future for SaaS gurus? We are going to be looking at how do we take what we're doing and turn it into AI. Oh, do you want to say more or leave it there with, with a note of mystery? Well, I'll, I can say more on that. Um, you know, when you think about it, I'm going to go back, actually go back a little bit in history. Back around 2005 or so, I believe it was Oxford University, produced a report that was taking a look at automation and um, innovation trends in various industries and making predictions as to what jobs would be obsolete by 2050 in the United States. And their broad conclusion was that half of the current jobs in the United States would be, you know, automated out of existence and being, being done in some automated machine fashion. And in the top 10 was accounting. Very rules-based, yeah. very data-driven, very subject to heuristic learning um, that AI is based on, you know, the self-teaching. Give it a big, massive set of data. And so what we're doing is we're accumulating a massive set of data on, okay, when we go into a company and we clean it up, and it starts in the general ledger, rather than spending all of these hours, tens of hours or whatnot, is there a way that we can automate that process? And you're optimistic there is. You know, I grew up on Star Trek. <laughs> and I'm sitting here right now, you know, in Star Trek, Spock would ask the computer a question and it would tell him it would take him a day to get an answer, 24 hours. I can ask my phone and get it in 24 milliseconds. Right, and that's just in the. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but that's in the span of you know a few decades. We have we have just started to realize the impact of AI on our lives and machine learning on our lives, and the opportunities that these present. I look at it this way: I'd rather be on the top of that wave riding it rather than being drowned by having it you know turn into a tsunami and wipe me out. Anthony Nitsos, thank you very much for joining us on CFO Yeah. Thank you, Patrick. It's been a real pleasure. CFO Year is brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Join us for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu.